0: Hear now the reading of God's precious, holy, and inspired word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, and indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. I pray that you might unite them together. And may whatever is said, and already has been said, and will be said, and sung and read, may it all be very pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen. Well, obviously, we're taking a break from our Ephesians series, and we're going to start a series in the book of Luke. And uh, we've entitled the series, The Four Christmas Carols in the Book of Luke. I prefer to call them worship songs, but I needed some kind of alliteration, so I chose Christmas Carol. But um, why are we studying this? Well, first of all, the whole aspect of worship or why we reflect on worship has to do with the fact that this is our calling during the Christmas season. We're called to pause for a moment and just reflect on the worship of the living God. And these uh, four songs at the beginning of the book of Luke do that. They draw us to the worship of the living God. There's something that kind of, there's a theme that kind of spreads throughout all four of the songs. And the theme is simply this. It's the praise God for his glorious salvation through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's the theme that connects all of them. But each one is individual. So for instance, Mary's song that we just read, the Magnificat is what it's called, and it focuses on the character of God. The second song, Zacharias' song, the Benedictus, focuses on the visitation or presence of God. The angel's song, or the Gloria, which is the third song we'll look at, focuses on the proclamation of the gospel. And then Simeon's song, Nunc Dominus." focuses on the peace that God provides through Messiah. And that's the four songs and that's where we're going today. And so this morning I'd like to look at Mary's song and Mary's song is fascinating. Mary wrote this song when she was 12, uh, anywhere between I think 12 or 17 years old according to the scholars. How many of you are between 12 and 17 years old? There's quite a few of you in here. Uh, Could you imagine writing something like this at your age? And yes, that's what Mary does. And it's filled with all sorts of things that uh, all of us can learn about worship and the importance of worship and why we worship. And so this song is divided into two groups. And so only two points today that I want to focus on. The first section is a small section, and it's on the character of Mary. And the second section, which is slightly larger, is going to be on the character of God. And we're not gonna give them both equal treatment simply because I think both of them are powerful in what they say and can teach us. And so we're gonna focus a little bit more on Mary and then of course we'll look at the reasons why we should worship God. So the first point is Mary's character. Notice with me in verse 46 and 47, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Notice the parallel themes of my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The scholars tell us that these two parallel themes are important because it shows that Mary had a whole heart that focused on the worship of God. And each individual word that's used, each individual verb, brings out something unique. Notice the first verb, my soul magnifies the Lord. Underline that, magnifies the Lord. That's important. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, it means to praise God and worship God exclusively, wholeheartedly. Uh, Just this morning, my wife sent me uh, a picture of my son, Caden. It's his birthday, by the way, if you want to say happy birthday to him afterwards, embarrass him, and do that. But uh, she sent me a picture of Caden, and he is being baptized by Pastor Roger. It's an amazing picture. And as I looked at it, I, I magnified, you know, on your phone. You could pick up your phone, and you could magnify the picture. And I wanted to see his cute baby face, and so I had to block out Roger's face. No offense, <laughs> Pastor Roger. Uh, your face isn't as cute as this little boy. And I was trying to look at his cute little baby face. Why did I do that? Because I wanted to magnify his face. And listen to me, if you are going to praise God and worship God, you have to learn how to magnify the Lord and block out everything else. Why is this so important? Because we live in a distracted world. Every time I turn around, someone's on their phone or somebody's looking somewhere else. We have attention spans of gnats. And it's interesting because it filters into our worship with God. It's so hard for us to worship God. We don't know how to magnify the Lord because we live in a distracted world. One scholar put it like this. Two of Satan's most powerful tools is distraction and deception. You better believe that's 100% true. But Mary says, no, I will not be distracted, despite what's going on around me. I would not allow my attention to be thwarted away from the majesty and glory of God. I am going to magnify the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy to be magnified. What else can we spend our time looking at or thinking about? The ancient theologians used to call God the ends perfectissimum, the most holy, perfect being imaginable. What else can we put our thoughts on that's higher and more glorious and more wonderful than God Himself? Now, I like me a TikTok video every now and then, but it doesn't compare to thinking about the glory and majesty of God. Are you magnifying the Lord today? We're here in worship. Are you, are you taking pains to make sure you focus on God and God alone? That's what the scriptures call us to. That's what Mary is calling us to. But notice the second one. Uh, Mary not only says, my soul magnifies the Lord, but she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Underline the word rejoices. You know, there's nothing like it outside of the Bible. I've looked. Hey, I, sometimes biblical writers have to find words to just talk about what it means to worship the Lord. And this is one of those words. It means to rejoice. There's nothing like it. It's, it's, an, an, it's not something that could be uttered by words, but your soul is so overcome by the goodness of the Lord that you just, just kind of mutter out something. You don't know what it is. The, the closest thing I could think of was uh, this past Friday, we went by some good friends of ours' house, and, and uh, their grandchild was there. And and their grandchild kept running from one end to the house to the other. And you know what he was doing the whole time? He was giggling. I mean, he was just giggling. And the giggling was infectious. I mean, every time this young man giggled and ran from one side to the other, we couldn't help but giggle. What was he doing? He was rejoicing. He couldn't express. How excited and how delighted he was to be in the presence of his grandparents. He just just kept giggling because he realized how loved he was. He realized how, how awesome it was to be in the place where his grandparents were. When was the last time you giggled before the Lord? When was the last time you were in the presence of the Lord and you just became overwhelmed by his goodness and grace, and you just rejoiced. Ah, some of you are thinking, Pastor Dennis, come on. I mean, you know, we're we're not children. We can't act like that. Yeah, well, maybe we should. Remember David, when the ark of the Lord came? David started rejoicing. I mean, and he started rejoicing so much, his wife looked at him and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. David, you need to calm that down. All this rejoicing and praising the Lord. My goodness, you're exposing yourself in front of all, all the servants. And David looked at her, and David was confounded. And I could just picture the things that she was saying to David David, you're making a fool of yourself. David, come on. You're you're an educated man. You're a grown man. You're successful. You're good looking. My goodness, David, you're a Presbyterian. You're supposed to do things decently and in order. And we don't worship like that. And David looked at her and said, it was before the Lord who chose me above your fathers and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. What David was saying, in essence, is what Mary says in verse number 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And David says, I am not too old to worship like that. What David was saying is, I'm not too educated to giggle before the Lord. What David was saying was, I'm not too proud to worship before the Lord. Because he has exalted me and magnified me. And because of that, I will magnify him. Sometimes we let our culture and our practices get in the way of truly magnifying and lifting up the Lord. Don't let it happen to you. It's appropriate for us to giggle before the Lord and just thank him for the goodness and grace that he has lavished on us, lavished on us. William Temple describes this wholehearted worship of Mary like this. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God and to devote the will to the purposes of God. That's what he's talking about, this, this full-hearted worship in which it doesn't matter who's around us. We see God for who he is, and we cannot help but praise him. This is why Jesus warns us against insincere praise and worship. This is why Jesus warns us that when we come before the Lord, we need to make sure that what we say outwardly matches the content of our hearts inwardly. It's important. In several places we see that. The risen Lord in the book of Revelation, when he's talking to the church at Sardis, what does he say to them? He says, you, Sardis, have a reputation for being alive. But inside, you are absolutely dead. It's because they had a worship that came out of their mouth that didn't match the worship that should be deep down in their hearts. Or Jesus quoting Isaiah, talking to the Pharisees, say, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's a danger with worship that's insincere. God wants worship that's completely sincere. And we see this even in our day today, don't we not? One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Lo, How a Rose, Air Blooming. And I found a version of it in German. And so I listened to it absolutely beautiful, rapturous. And then I uh, looked up the people who uh, sang the song and realized that they were all unbelievers. And it's true, unbelievers sometimes sing the best Christmas songs. But they're an example of people who worship God with their mouth beautifully. But inwardly, they're dead. And maybe that's you inside here today. You sang all the songs. You know the songs by heart. You've been in church almost your whole life. You've been around Christianity your whole life. And outwardly, you sing the beautiful songs of Zion. But inwardly, you're cold. You might say to me, Pastor Dennis, how, how can I reverse that? How can I... Feel what Mary is feeling here, magnifying the Lord and rejoicing. Well, the scriptures tell us, look at verse number 48. The first thing is that Mary humbled herself before the Lord. Humility. Augustine, the early church father says that what is essential thing for religion and discipline of Jesus Christ is this. I will reply, first is humility, second is humility, third is humility. Here's what the scriptures are calling us to. If you are serious about worshiping God and magnifying Him and rejoicing in the Lord your God, you have to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. A few months ago, I called or I reached out to a friend and I said, Man, I've been preaching and teaching and I feel somewhat dead inside. Can you please pray for me? And He did. And he started sending me Christmas, he started sending me uh, hymns, and he started talking to me. And through that process of humbling myself before him, the Lord gave me my passion and desire back. In the same way, if my children come to me and they say, Daddy, I'm hurting, I would do everything I can to stop that pain. If you are in here today and your soul is sick, And inwardly, you have no desire to serve the the Lord, but you do it outwardly because you know you're right. Go to him and ask him to put those, those feelings of joy and peace in your heart. And he will do it because he loves you. Notice the text says in verse 48, for he has looked on. That word looked on is a powerful word because it means the same way a parent, a doting parent looks on. Child. I love visiting new moms and new dads because when they bring out their small child, uh, they hold that child in their hand and they look on them like they're the most precious thing in the world. And that's what God does to you. He looks on you because you are the most precious thing in the world to him. That's the heart of the one that worships the Lord. They magnify the Lord, their spirit rejoices in God. My Savior. All right, notice the second portion. The second portion, of course, is all about God and focuses all on His attributes. And there are four attributes of God here, and we'll go through them quickly. The first attribute is that of His power. Look at verse number 49. It says, For He who is mighty has done great things for me. He who is mighty. Do you know that God is powerful and mighty? At the beginning of this text, in Luke chapter one, it says that God who is so mighty, he is able to do the impossible, the miraculous. He made a barren woman have a child. And he made a, a woman who had not yet been with a man had a child. That's an example of how powerful God is. And sometimes we forget that God still traffics in the miraculous. We think all that stuff is for the Old Testament and for the Pentecostals. But it's not. The power of God exists for you today. If you believe him, that's a part of his attribute. He's powerful. But the power of God is also seen in the mundane, the everyday life. Now for most of us in here today, miraculous things don't happen to us. We go about our lives, we wake up, we brush our teeth, we take a bath, we go to work. You might say, Pastor Dennis, nothing ever happens to me, my life is boring. Well, praise God. Praise God your life is boring. One of my favorite stories I love to tell uh, young people who have grown up in covenant homes is this story. Uh, Alexander Archibald, he was the president of Princeton, and uh, he uh, was in his office one day studying, and you know, he's a Presbyterian, so he's a little stiff shirt, and he's like sitting down there studying and doing all that stuff. By the way, I love Presbyterians. I'm not dumping on you today. I'm a Presbyterian, by the way. I'm a Presbyterian minister. I have the card and all that, but, but that's who he was, right? And, and Alexander Archibald was sitting inside his, his office, and, and someone broke into office and said, Dr. Archibald, you wouldn't believe the great providence that God has allowed to happen to me today. I was going around a bend and and my horse slipped and my cart fell and I held on to a, a branch and by God's great and mighty providence on my life, I was spared. Dr. Archibald looked at him and said, is that the case? Do you know for the last 20 years, I've gone around that bend and nothing has ever happened to me? That's the greater act of God's power. And let me let me help you understand something today. Yes, God's power is seen in a miraculous, but you better believe it takes just as much power for a godly woman, for a godly man, to go through their entire life. And their testimony is: I had two parents that loved me and cared for me, and I never knew a day that I didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. The power of God is seen in the mundane. Also notice that the power of God is seen, or notice the holiness of God. In the very next portion of the verse, it says that God is not just mighty, but holy is his name. Holiness is the characteristic of God that is most seen of God in all the Bible. In Isaiah six, we have this great worship of the angels and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's the holiness of God. And the holiness of God simply means that God acts in such a way that all of his actions are pure and right before the Lord. All of them are. That's why of all the verbs in this section, there's about 10 verbs that belong to God and what God does. If you go through them, you could put holy in front of each one of them because every action of God is holy. It's the central aspect of who God is. He's holy. He walks in holiness toward you. That's verse 49. Look in verse number 50. God is merciful. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is merciful. In other words, God bears with us. God never gives us what we deserve. The mercy of God is a powerful thing, and I think about it every day because I'm a sinner. I remember when when our boys were a little bit younger, I used to wrestle with them. And you know, I, I weigh 200 and blah, blah, blah pounds. And so I'm much more mightier than them. And so we would wrestle. And I would, I would sometimes put them on me, and they would, they would pin me, and they're like, yay, you know, I'd be daddy. And then every now and then I would grab them and pin them to the ground just to show them who they're messing with, you know, the mighty dad. Well, do you realize God does the same for you? Could you imagine if every time you sinned, God punished you for your sin? Could you imagine for every foul thought you have, God immediately disciplined you for it? Could you imagine for just a moment if he dealt with you in accordance with his sin? See, you have to understand the mercies of God are upon you each and every moment. Because if he wanted to, he could punish you in an instant. And the last thing I want you to see today is the faithfulness of God. And Look at verse number 54 and 55. It's easy to miss this. He says at the very end, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. How do we see the faithfulness of God in this passage? Remember, he promised Abraham that, that all the world would be blessed through him. And that there was a child that would come and deliver his people from all of his sins. And that promise is true. And one aspect of this promise is if you go through this particular song of Mary, you'll notice that it's filled with Old Testament allusions. Some say up to 15 And as Mary began to think about the promises of God and all that God has said to to her, she began to burst out in songs. Why? Because she remembered the faithfulness of God. Beloved, how do we know God is faithful? Look at Christ. Christ came to earth and died for us to turn us into worshipers. Worshipers. That's what he did. Isaiah Chapter 61.3 said this, that when Christ comes, he will give us a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor Dennis, I don't know if I have the capacity to worship and serve God the way he has called me to. I'm here to tell you today that you do. He has taken off our garments of filth and instead replaced them with garments of praise that we could worship him in the beauty of holiness. And so it doesn't matter if you're the youngest person in here today or you're the oldest person in here today. If you are a believer, he has placed on you a garment of praise that you can worship him and praise him in a way that is beautiful to him. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of worship and praise. And as Mary, this this young child, instructed us today. We rejoice in knowing that we can go before you and praise you and worship you because of the finished work of Christ. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace toward your covenant people, your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.